Shortly after the passing of Nodav and Avihu, there is this, what appears to be, tense moment between Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron HaKohen about Aaron's conduct in the face of being an Oinen, just having lost his sons and not yet having buried them. And Moshe Rabbeinu acknowledges after Aaron explains himself and says, actually what you're saying makes sense. So we see how Rashi analyzes exactly what Moshe was acknowledging and that will teach us a very intriguing lesson about Moshe and Aaron and their respective views on how the world and spirituality operate, which in turn tells us that there's space for both, both perspectives in our own lives. So the Pasuk, commenting on the Pasuk, that Moshe heard Aaron's explanation about why it is that he did eat the carbonos that were temporary as part of the inauguration of the Mishkan, even though he was an Oinen, but he did not eat from the karmachatas of uh, the carbon of Rosh Chodesh because it was a long-term carbon. So Moshe heard him and the explanation was satisfying to him. It, it was good in his eyes. So Rashi comments on that. Pirish Rashi, what does it mean it was good in Moshe's eyes? Says Rashi, he, he acknowledged and he wasn't embarrassed to say, I haven't heard. Now, the question is, what exactly is Rashi saying? The way you punctuate this might have very different um, explanations or meanings. So various commentators on Rashi say, what Rashi was telling us is, You've got to read it like this. He acknowledged. And he wasn't embarrassed, which would have led him to say, I hadn't heard that halacha before. So that's how the commentary is explained. In other words, If Moshe had been embarrassed, he would have said, I, I, okay, sorry, I'm embarrassed. I, I, I never heard this halachic before. So the way you have to read it would be as, that he didn't say, because of embarrassment, I never, never heard this halachic before. So therefore, if that's how we're interpreting Rashi, then what Rashi is telling us is, seeing as Moshe was not embarrassed to say the truth, in front of his brother Aaron. So therefore, loy Omar Therefore, he did not excuse himself by saying, Oh, I did not hear the Salacha previously. Instead, he acknowledged and he admitted, said, I did hear the Salacha from the Ebishter, and I forgot. That's actually how the Gemara explains this. And so the Mephoshim say, Rashi is telling us the same interpretation as the Gemara. The only thing is that in the Gemara that might fit beautifully. That kind of playing with the punctuation and the nuance of exactly how you read a phrase. But this is Rashi who explains Pshat. And Rashi As we know, Rashi wrote in the clearest possible language. To the extent that even a five-year-old whose level of knowledge is that he's only just learning Chumash should be able to understand what Rashi is saying. Now, Rashi wouldn't give us these misleading or convoluted explanations. If really what Rashi wanted us to know is that Moshe Rabbeinu's admission was, I did hear the Salacha from the Ebishter, but I subsequently forgot it, and you've now reminded me, Aaron, Rashi would not have left that core piece of information out of his explanation. He would have spelled out exactly what Moshe was saying. Because the Gemara felt the need to unpack exactly how they read these words. 
So Rashi, who wants to make things as simple as possible, would clearly have said something along the lines of, Moshe Omar Shomaiti V'Shochachti. But he didn't say that. Now, of course, it would be a crazy suggestion to say the reason Rashi didn't say it is because he knows that the Gemara already talks about the possibility of Moshe saying, I had heard and forgotten the Aloha, and you've reminded me. That's not a good enough explanation. Because we've already dealt with this multiple times. Rashi deals with a Pshat in context on the spot. Rashi does not expect that his interpretation will only be clarified by information that is found in a different source. Especially when you look at this Rashi, Rashi didn't even mention that he is based on a Gemara. If he at least told us, go look in the Gemara, well, then we would at least know where to go find this information. And so therefore, therefore, in spite of what various of the, the commentaries point out, that Rashi is telling us that actually he wasn't embarrassed and therefore claiming he didn't hear the Salacha, but he was honest and said, I heard and forgot, we're not going to go with that explanation according to Rashi. It would appear that if Rashi is giving us the simplest explanation, that would imply that Rashi's interpretation is not aligned with the interpretation of a different style of, in, of learning Torah, as in the Gemara, the approach of Halacha. And the truth is that Torah's Kahanim, which is a Midrashic source, also comments on this Pasuk and does not use the same language the Gemara does. And Rashi actually seems to be using the same expression as Torah's Kahanim. So let's not conclude that Rashi is trying to tell us that Moshe's greatness and honesty was, I had heard the halacha and subsequently forgotten it. Rather, it sounds like he, he actually was saying, boy, she wasn't embarrassed to say, Lo I haven't heard this halacha before. There are a few other things about Rashi's commentary that we need to understand. Number one, what is not clear in the Pasuk itself, that Rashi had to address, and the way he addresses is by telling us that he acknowledged and he wasn't embarrassed. Surely the words of the Pasuk are straightforward. How does the Pasuk read in a Pshat level? When he heard, when Moshe heard Aaron's explanation, it was good in his eyes. Why do I have to look beyond that? It's a simple, straightforward Pasuk. Moshe had an opinion. Aaron had a different opinion. Aaron motivated his opinion. And Moshe said, you're right, I accept it. Why do I need more than that? Secondly, where in the Pasuk is there anything that leads us to understand that Moshe is acknowledging without feeling embarrassed that he hadn't heard Halacha? Where do you see that in the Pasuk at all? So now, there are other commentators on Rashi, and they come from this angle. They say, why does it have to tell us? It's a lot of words. And Moshe heard, and it was good in his eyes. It sounds like those words, Vayishma Moshe, that Moshe heard, are extra, superfluous words. What's surprising about the fact that Moshe heard what Aaron said? They were standing there 
face-to-face, having a conversation, why does the Torah have to tell me that Moshe heard what Aaron had said? And therefore, all the Torah had to tell us was that what Aaron had said, or whatever, it was good in his eyes. So therefore, those who are Moshe. that maybe that's where Rashi picked it up from. The fact that the Torah first said Moshe heard Diak Rashi, Rashi derived out of that. Shakavona Kanish So therefore, maybe what Rashi is telling us is, ah, you see the Torah says Vayishma, he already heard this before from Hashem. Now he's reminded again by Aaron. In between, he forgot this information. And that would explain why it was good in his eyes, because now when he heard it again from Aaron, it made sense, resonated, and reminded him of what he already knew. Now that's quite a problematic suggestion. It doesn't really seem to be the best explanation according to Pshat. And so therefore it doesn't seem to be the best explanation from Rashi's perspective. Key for the following reasons. Number one, Firstly, there are commentaries who then counter those commentaries by saying, Surely it should have been then in past tense. Moshe had already heard this. Now it was good in his eyes that Aaron said it again. There should have been an, an emphasis on the fact that Moshe had already in the past heard this particular instruction or, or set of halachas. Also, if it's true that what alerts Rashi to the fact that there is information Moshe already knew and then forgot and he's hearing again, and what that is derived from the words Vayishma Moshe, then Vayishma Moshe should have been part of the headline of this Rashi. But in addition to that, Again, as we said before, if Rashi is going to tell us something, he'll say it clearly. Especially if Vayishma Moshe does not mean that Moshe heard what Aaron said, but rather that he had previously heard what Hashem said. Now that's taking it away from the Pshat of the Pasuk. If that is true, Rashi would have said that very clearly. Right, the pshat of Ayishma Moshe that he heard what Aaron said. At least what Rashi should have said is, I heard this and I forgot it. Which might have helped us to explain what the expression of Ayishma Moshe means. So it doesn't seem straightforward to us that that is the explanation that Rashi picked it out of the words Ayishma Moshe. And so we're back to square one. Why does Rashi have to explain this at all? How does he get from the words Vayishma Moshe that he had heard and, and forgotten? In addition to which, we also have to understand that there are other places where Rashi deals with similar uh, topics and apparently in a different way. But Pashas Matois, Pashas Matois, where it says that Elazar HaKoyen, Aaron's son, was the one who introduced the laws of how you deal with Kalim that you get from non Jewish people. Rashi, so Rashi says of the Fisher, because Moshe was upset at the fact that the soldiers who went to war against Midian did not do exactly as they told them. So he became angry. So therefore he made an alachic misjudgment. And what that meant was that he temporarily could not recall the halachas of how you kasha vessels that you had taken from non-Jewish sources. 
That's what Rashi says there in Pashas Matas. And then he says, You find a similar thing here in our Pasha, in Pasha Shemini. Where it says that Moshe was angry at Eloza and Isamar about how they dealt with these various carbonos, which is the, the conversation we're dealing with right now. Says Rashi, He became angry, Moshe, so he made an alachic mistake and accused Aaron of doing the wrong thing. And then Rashi says, Likewise, when he got angry with the Yidin, when they were asking for water, the anger led him to make a mistake. That's why he hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock. Now, because Rashi is the one who says that, that implies, That seems that Rashi always looks for a reason that will help us to appreciate how Moshe would have decided an halacha uh, incorrectly. Move on. Now here's the part that doesn't make sense. This question. How did Moshe arrive at the wrong halachic conclusion over here in our parasha about the Chodesh? Our parasha is the first of the three examples that Rashi refers to in Parasha Smatos. It's the first case where it looks like, Rashi, like, like Moshe, because he was angry, made a mistake. Then surely this is where Rashi should have quoted this idea that when Moshe became angry, that's when he got the halacha wrong. And also in Matois, and also in Shimon Why doesn't Rashi say it here? The most logical place to raise that point. How did Moshe make a mistake? Because he became, so to speak, angry. This would be the perfect environment to discuss it, and he doesn't. So, Vahbir Bozet, to explain all of these questions, we have to know this. First of all, we're going to move away from the suggestion, which was that it's not that if he had been embarrassed, then he would have said that he didn't know the halacha, but he wasn't embarrassed, and therefore he said he knew and forgot. We're discarding that. We're saying that's not what Rashi is explaining. It might be in the Gemara, but Rashi's take is literally, Moshe was not embarrassed to acknowledge that he had never heard this halacha about, as, as we'll see, how you deal with the korban of, uh, what's, what's a, a korban over the ages. For how an oinen is supposed to deal with a korban over the ages. In other words, Moshe acknowledged that he had never been told by the Eivisha that there's a distinction between what halachas apply to those temporary korbanos that were only used as part of the inauguration of the Mishkan. And those korbanos and oinen is allowed to eat because they only appear once versus the korban of Rosh Chodesh, which would be a long-term korban across the generations. And that korban and oinen is not permitted to eat. Rashi hadn't, uh, sorry, Moshe hadn't heard that. Why would Rashi take that approach and not the Gemara's approach? Remember, the Gemara's approach was that he wasn't embarrassed to hide behind the fact that he hadn't heard. And, and instead he came out openly and said, I heard and forgot. Why doesn't Rashi go that way? He doesn't want to tell us that Moshe knew the Salacha and subsequently forgot it. And he doesn't want to interpret that the embarrassment that he didn't have, or the fact that he overcame his embarrassment, was that he was able to say, I heard and I forgot. Why doesn't Rashi want to go that route? 
because it would raise some very obvious questions, according to Pshat. According to Pshat, let's be honest, is Rashi going to tell us, wow, look at Moshe, he told the truth. What's the big celebration over the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest sage of our history, the greatest prophet who ever lived, told the truth. If he had heard the halacha from Hashem and he had forgotten it. And not because of embarrassment that he would have made up a story that's false to say, never heard it. Why would you even think Moshe would do that? Secondly, if actually what we're dealing with over here is information that Moshe had heard from Hashem, what a chutzpah to use the expression. Yeah, it's good to me. I think it's good. <laughs> would it be asking for a rating of Hashem's instructions? And then even more powerful than that, the moment you see an expression like it was good for him, good in his eyes, that implies there was possibly an alternative. But out of the two alternatives, this was the one that found favor in his eyes. But if we'd go with the Gemara's explanation, which is that Moshe actually said, I had heard this information from Hashem and I subsequently forgot it. That's obviously something that finds favor in Hashem's eyes. So what's the Chab? I was saying, not only is this a good, the correct approach according to Hashem, it's also the correct approach according to Moshe. That would be a ridiculous way to speak. It's because of these very powerful questions that Rashi prefers to explain that Vaishma Moshe Vaita Vainov is literal. That Moshe had never been taught by Hashem the difference between a temporary carbon and a long term carbon. As Rashi discussed in quite a bit of detail in the previous Pasuk, where it says, Hayitav Hashem, Aaron said, if we would have eaten this carbon, the carbon of of the Sirosh Chodesh, would that have been good in Hashem's eyes? Says Rashi, Im if you learned from Hashem, if you heard from Hashem that we're allowed to eat the carbonas that are unique to the inauguration of the Mishkan, that doesn't give you the right to extend that permission for us to eat the carbonos to other carbonos that are through the course of history. Now, when you come from this perspective, now suddenly it makes sense. You can see why it is an accolade for Moshe that he acknowledged something I hadn't heard this from Hashem. Because if he hadn't heard it from Hashem, if Moshe had not been given a clear instruction, that left him with choices. He could have just kept quiet, which would have obviously mean, meant that he acknowledged Aaron's perspective. Or he could have gone beyond that and said, Aaron, you are correct. But he didn't have to make an announcement. And I was not given this information by Hashem. So it's a big deal that Moshe was willing as a leader, the ultimate leader, to say something like that, which is very vulnerable to say, I wasn't told this by Hashem. Beza will also explain us a special name of Aitav Be'enov, who will help us understand why it's good in Moshe's eyes. 
because it's not something he had heard from the Abishah. See, he had to objectively analyze whether this was a, a viable argument that Aaron put forward. It was a logical presentation by Aaron that Moshe could not corroborate against something he had heard from Hashem. So it had to make sense to him personally. And the reason it was something he had to weigh in on intellectually is because in many respects, in many of the, of the halachas of karbonos, apply equally to karbonos that are only in a specific circumstance, like the inauguration of the Mishkan, and also in the karbonos that are over the course of history. Like Rashi told us about the Korban Pesach that they ate in Mitzrayim, there are certain things that we don't do in the Korban Pesach over the course of generations. Yet on the other hand, there are various halachas of the Pesach Mitzrayim that do apply over Pesach Doris. So we know that there is the possibility of that correlation. But in this particular case, there wasn't that clarity that the Ibishta had told Moshe, this is one of the ways that Koche Doris and Koche Shah, Karbonos that are short-term and Karbonos that are long-term, share the same alochos. And so Moshe had to hear it from Aaron, consider it, and then Vayita Beinov, give it his, his accreditation, his, his, his uh, approval. Our question was, what bothered Rashi in the first place to need to even have this conversation? What's difficult to understand about a Pasuk that says, Moshe heard Aaron and he acknowledged? What motivated Rashi to comment at all? Especially a commentary that speaks about Moshe Rabbeinu acknowledging uh, almost like a lack on his part. Almost exact opposite of what we suggested earlier. Earlier we thought that the key was that Vayishma Moshe were the extra words. Turns out that the extra words, the superfluous words in the Pasuk, or what appeared to be superfluous until Rashi explains them, are the words that it was good in his eyes. Why is that relevant to us if it's good in Moshe Abena's eyes? Shekane. Obviously we know that Moshe heard, physically heard, what, Moshe, what Aaron had told him. But the truth is, when the Torah speaks about hearing, it's not just talking about auditory processing. Once we already, logically, without reading the words, know that Moshe and Aaron had a conversation, obviously Moshe listened. It would be ridiculous if every single time in the Torah two people spoke, we had to be told that the one heard what the other had to say. So it's obvious that Moshe heard what Aaron had to say. Why then does the Torah say Vayishma? Because Vayishma means you pay attention, you apply your mind. You listen to your wife's voice. You don't realize that, Moshe, that Yosef understood what was going on even though there was the interpreter between you. And various other places in Torah. The word Shema actually means to process and accept something in an intellectual fashion, not just simply to hear it with your ears. In other words, when it says, that is the part that has already told us that what Aaron said resonated with Moshe. Well, that seems to imply that the Torah is now repeating itself. You already told me that Moshe heard him. Okay, I hear you. I hear you. I hear what you're saying. And then on top of that, Vayita Beinovin was good in his eyes. You just said the same thing twice. So why would the Torah then have to add those words, Vayita Beinov was good in his eyes? So therefore, Rashi says, there's got to be more to the story. 
that those words Vayitav Be'inov that was good in his eyes Ba'ulahoysif Alanem Avayishma Moshe add another layer of perspective to the part that Moshe already heard and understood what Aaron had to say. The Torah is telling us over here, not only was Aaron's argument compelling enough to Moshe that he accepted it, but there's more to that. The fact that it was good in his eyes is something additional. What's additional? What does the Pasuk want to emphasize for us over here? How's this going to play out and, and express this? Where, where do you see something that Vayita Beinov is more than just the fact that, I, okay, I hear you, I get it, I understand what you're arguing. You know, Kach Pirish Rashi, that's what Rashi comes to explain. What the Pasuk wants us to know is, What the Pasuk wants us to know is that how does, not only did Moshe hear and understand what Aaron had to say, but besides the fact that it resonated with him, it was so, it was so uh, appreciated by Moshe. He was so taken by what Aaron said that not only do you say you're right, but Moshe went out and he shared it with other people. It's a good thing that's got to tell people. It's amazing what Aaron has just introduced. And that's Moshe's greatness. He wasn't embarrassed to go and tell other people, you know, I never heard this information, but Aaron brought it to my attention. And he should hear his perspective and his explanation and his argument, because it's actually quite brilliant. That means that Moshe Rabbein went out and he advertised the fact that here was a part of Torah that he hadn't heard. He didn't have to add that information when he went out and told people this is what happened and this is how the halacha should be going forward. And in fact, even if Moshe Rabbeinu had made a massive announcement in front of all the Yidin to say, I agree with what Aaron had to say, that would have been more than sufficient. But he says, you have to know how Gashmaka I think this is. You have to know how much I believe that this is the correct perspective. How much? I didn't even hear it. And yet I feel that it's motivating enough for me to go out and spread the word. So now that we have satisfied ourselves that Rashi's perspective over here is what was Moshe willing to acknowledge and wasn't embarrassed to say? I did not know this information. Once you see it from this perspective, now we can understand why Rashi does not bring the issue over here. He waits to Parashas Matois. Now we understand why here is not the appropriate place to start saying because Moshe got angry, therefore he made a mistake. Because whether or not the same halachic principles should apply to the sacrifices the carbonates will bring across the course of history as applied to those carbonates that are only brought in specific uh, circumstances. That is something that you could argue rationally in two different direction, directions. And whenever you're dealing with something which has to be processed intellectually, there has to be the possibility of different opinions, two different opinions at least. So therefore, if I go with the simplest explanation of 
the pasuk this is not the place where you have to start saying, oh, but you know what happened over here? Moshe got angry and therefore he lost his way and he made the wrong decision. When you could just simply say, there are two different opinions. And Moshe went with one and Aaron went with the other. So this is not the place to say, ah, I have proof that when Moshe lost his school, he lost his perspective. And that's a very obviously crude way to say it. Whereas when you get to Pashas Matos, in Pashas Matos, it's very clear that Moshe is actually angry at the soldiers for not fulfilling their obligations in that war against Pnois Midian. And sparing Dafka, the girls who were the cause of the problem. Moshe is angry, so to speak. And therefore, that made him make a mistake. So what happens? So now they, and you're reading a pasuk, you can see the anger described in the pasuk, and you can see Moshe Rabbeinu not being able to give the aloha, and Elazar has to step in. So now you see, okay, here I could have this conversation. Here I could have the conversation that here I see anger, and I see that it leads to a misreading of the situation, or an inability in this case. To share the halacha. And then once Rashi tells us that as a principle, as an insight, then Rashi could add, then Rashi says, and we see something similar in Parashat Shemini. Only once Rashi has found a compelling argument in Torah where you see clearly that growing angry leads a person to forget the correct halachic perspective, then then we have insight we could use retroactively going back to the story of Pasha Shemini. Now I realize that in Parashat Shmini it was the fact that Moshe was angry at Elozer in his summer. That's what caused Moshe to come to the wrong halachic conclusion. Which means that the rational understanding of the connection between short-term and long-term korbanos eluded Moshe, even though it was clear to Aaron. Why? Now I could retroactively understand that that was driven by anger. But in this Pasuk in Shmini, we don't yet have a compelling reason to believe that anger drives a person to mistake a halacha. So all of that explains what Rashi's perspective is. Vaishma Moshe means that Moshe understood what Aaron had to say. Vayita Ve'enov means not only did he understand it, he went out and he told everybody, you've got to know what happened over here. I had never heard this halacha. Aaron presented it and it made beautiful sense to me. And at this point in time, that's what it sounds like. There were two different views and Moshe gave credibility to, to Aaron's view. Now, what we've got over here clearly is two worldviews, actually, not just two views of a specific halacha, but it develops into two worldviews, Moshe and Aaron, which are two paradigms of how you're supposed to see the world. And that comes out in the richer perspective that Rashi offers us. Let's look at what's happening over here. We have Moshe and Aaron who each have a logical basis for their particular views. Moshe's view is, Aaron, you should have eaten from the carbon in spite of being an oinen. And Aaron's view is two different types of carbonos. This is a long-term carbon. Every Rosh Chodesh it will happen. Therefore, it has laws that will apply across the course of history. And those laws include the fact that an oinen may not partake. 
So there's two logical perspectives. Tzorich we need to understand this. Aleph, first of all, we have to try and understand from on, on what basis, on what rational basis, did Moshe believe that there should be no fundamental halachic difference between those korbanos that only happened once at the time of the inauguration of the Mishkan and other korbanos that would happen consistently through history. Versus, why would that be so different to Aaron's perspective, which is obviously they're different. Number two, base. Let's go with Moshe's perspective that he doesn't see a distinction between those karbonos that are only at the Mishkan time and those karbonos that are across history. And Moshe is so clear about it. To the extent that when Moshe sees that Aaron didn't behave that way and he wouldn't eat the, 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 the carbon of Rosh Chodesh, Moshe is so clear on his perspective that he gets angry at Aaron and his family. So why did he change his mind when he hears, when he hears from Aaron? And Aaron doesn't quote any proof. It's not that the Abishta told me. He just says to him, surely this is how it works. That there should be a fundamental distinction between these two styles of Kerbonis. Why did it suddenly change such a great difference to the point that now Moshe's happy with Aaron's head? So one minute he's angry at Aaron. Why did you behave that way? Then Aaron explains something to Moshe. Oh, all good. It's clear. It makes perfect sense in my eyes. What changed? We can really understand this best by understanding the perspective of Hasidus. We're going to look at two real differences between Moshe and Aaron. Uh, fundamentally spiritual differences. First, we'll start with the Medrash, like the Medrash says, Chesed ze Aaron ze Moshe. The entire approach and service of Hashem of Aaron is all built around Chesed, Moshe Emes, absolute integrity. Now, Echadachi looking by Nemes le Chesed, who one of the clear distinctions between absolute truth and integrity versus kindness and tolerance is that in Yonashalemesusha that truth and integrity never shift or waver. It doesn't matter where or when you are, truth is truth. To the same extent and in the same fashion, something is absolutely true, whether it be in the 21st century or in the 1st century, in the Western world or in the Far East. makes no difference. So truth is unwavering. Whereas if you live in the world of kindness, Chesed is all about doing goodness for others, sharing with others, making others, enriching their life, making them feel good. Well, if you want to be kind to people, you have to know who they are, what, what uh, speaks to them, what is their love language, and, you know, how do you relate to them? Nobody's the same. So MS is like consistent right throughout, and Chesed is tailor-made. And when you do share kindness, there's always going to be a difference between how the person sharing the kindness experiences it and the person receiving the kindness experiences like the Gemara tells us in Tainis that he says, if you give us too much goodness, we also can't handle it. You know, too much chesed is also not a healthy thing. 
Now, when you're looking through the lens of Moshe Rabbeinu, whose perspective on life is truth with a capital T, so therefore you take from that perspective say any time there's a question or a doubt your perspective has to be every scenario if I'm not sure then I have to find the most consistent way that things will run so now we've got a question over here what does an oinin do with this carbon of Rosh Chodesh Moshe says there's got to be integrity right throughout. Whatever halacha applies to those karbonas that we brought in honor of the Mishkan, those same halachas should apply to those karbonas we're going to bring through the course of history. Whatever the nature is of the spiritual energy and holiness that is associated with this time and this service of karbonas must remain the identical energy and the identical holiness that runs right throughout all of karbonas throughout the whole of history must be true, right throughout, never changing, never wavering. Whereas when you look through the lens of Aaron who manifests kindness, Aaron's whole approach is to love peace and love people and draw them closer to the Torah. Which means he completely dedicated his life to the needs of the individual Jewish person. And not only the individual, but even as the Mishnah Pekhavis tells us, those Jewish people who have such lowly stature that their title is actually creations. And Aaron's approach is bespoke. Who are you? What do you need? Let's talk your language. So for Aaron, it's pretty clear that there's a difference between something which is a temporary way to serve Hashem and something that is a permanent, long-term way to serve Hashem. If I look from the perspective of the so-called recipient, So Aaron's approach is, Everybody is different. Nobody's going to have the same consistency of dedication right throughout every scenario in their life. And by extension, not every service of Hashem is identical. Take it a level deeper. So this fits into what the Zoyar tells us, that Moshe is the so-called chaperone of the king of Hashem, and Aaron is the so-called chaperone of the queen, the Jewish people. That means they look at the world in totally, from totally different perspectives. If you look at the world through Moshe's eyes as the chaperone representing the king Hashem, which means his world centers on the king and the king's definitions and realities. That means that Moshe's primary job is his primary responsibility is to bring godliness into the experience of the Jewish people and by extension into the world. So if you're coming from the top down, you're coming from a realm like in Atzilus of complete consciousness of Hashem, there has to be integrity of that divine energy right all the way down. It should not waver, shouldn't compromise, shouldn't diminish in any way. And that's how Moshe practiced. Bring Elikus to the Yidden that might be over their head, might be too intense for them, might have to wear a veil, might not relate to the fact that they want to eat meat. He, may, he has to bring Elikus, he's got an unadulterated Elikus, bring it into the experience of the Jewish people. 
whereas Aaron has a totally different role in the community. He is the chaperone of the queen, of the Jewish people, which means he has to deal with the queen and the realities that the queen lives in. In other words, our reality. Aaron has to completely look at our reality. Which means that Aaron's job is bring them from wherever they are to a higher, more developed, more mature spiritual experience. Now, if that's the way it's going to work, you're going to elevate people. That will depend on each person and where they are at spiritually. And that's why it's not one size fits all. This person needs to be elevated that amount. That person needs to be elevated in that way. It's an absolutely unique experience for each person. So Moshe is the pristine godliness that you bring into the world, and Aaron is the tailor-made experience of lifting a person from this world to get closer to Hashem. Now they cannot work separately. So what do we see in our story? When Moshe hears what Aaron has to say. Moshe is talking from Atzilus language, but Aaron responds to him from real life in the Asiya realm. When Aaron tells him Yashem Shinuyim that there are shifts and changes, waxing and waning, and when you're in a temporary experience of serving Hashem, it's not the same as when you're in a permanent experience of serving Hashem. Moshe can and does hear that, and it actually is good for him. Meaning, in spite of Moshe's highly elevated spiritual state, he hears and resonates with it. And at that moment, something fundamental shifts. That the approach of lifting people in line with where they're holding, and it's not a one-size-fits-all, and you have to consider their unique circumstances and experiences, that is now no longer only the perspective of chesed. It is also seen and accepted from Moshe's perspective, the perspective of truth. In other words, to deal with people at their level, speak their language, and help them to become the best they could become is Emes. Let's explain it better. We know there's a very interesting comment that the Alter Rebbe gives in explaining how Bainanim serve Hashem. So what does the Alter Rebbe say? Because Bainanim have this experience of an intense love of Hashem only during the height of davening. Says the Alter Rebbe, this love that Bainanim experienced. If I'm looking from the perspective of Bainanim, for them, it is considered the most beautiful, perfect, honest service of Hashem. Complete truth. On a personal level, relevant to the levels, uh, 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 relative to the levels of a Benoni. Says Al-Tareb in the same discussion. Were you to compare this to the avoid of Tzadikim, which is the truth of truth, the most pr- uh, profound degree of truth. This would not be considered real service of Hashem at all. Why not? Because once they stop davening, it dissipates. And for a tzaddik, that's not good enough. It's got to be 24-7, 365. Oh, the tells us, if something is true, that will continue forever. If I take a break in the middle, that's an indication. That's false. 
In other words, the Alter Rebbe gives us an impression that there is MS and there's MS Lamitoi. There's truth relative to where you're at, and then there's truth in its most pristine form. The truth is that the only place you can have absolute truth with a capital T is godliness. Like the Pasuk says, the Ebesha is truth. In our world that we live in, the created reality, there can be no truth at all. Why not? Because all things were created. That means there was a time they didn't exist. So they weren't true then. And they all disappear over time. So there will be a time where they're no longer here. They won't be true at that point. So when you see truth amongst created entities, I'll argue if you want to be a purist, it's only truth and integrity relative to where they are. But if I want to be serious about it and look how things are at the highest levels, this is not called, called truth. It's called trying your best. It's not truth. Actually, what you have to say is that the Ebesha who is truth instills truth within the world as well. These are glimpses of godliness and the truth of Hashem that shine through the created reality as well. So you could be dismissive and say, ah, hypocrisy. You're not consistent. You don't have integrity. Or you could say, these are moments where you could see the MS Havaya that comes through the experience of a person living in this world. We actually have another similar expression. Similar to what we explain elsewhere. What does it say? What's Moidecha? To the extreme. But still it's Moidecha. It's the extreme, totally unfettered part of that person's service. In other words, relative to what they normally do, this is bleak vul. This is them breaking out. What happens when an individual pushes themselves to break out of their normal natural conduct to a level of extreme dedication to Hashem? It arouses and awakens from Hashem the bleak vul of Hashem's in- input and brocha, etc. Ah, even though you'll say, but one individual's ma'oid pushing themselves beyond themselves might not even be the next person's starting point. And the truth is, it might actually be an extremely limited step. Oh, so big deal. So you put on tefillin once. So maybe that was a big thing for you, but you know there's people who've been putting on tefillin since they're 13 years old. The fact is that there is no such thing as beyond any restrictions, beyond any definitions, except for Hashem. And everything that exists through creation is fundamentally mugbal limited. Therefore, it's impossible for any created being, including you and I, to ever have an experience that is beyond limitations. Okay, and therefore, how did they design it? As soon as any one of us pushes ourselves beyond ourselves, what happens is that connects you directly to the and that allows us 
to be turbo boosted by the Abishtah, who Taka is Bligvul, who is really beyond any restraint or restriction at all, and that lifts our efforts to a whole different level. May I time it for which reason? So when you push yourself beyond yourself, you're illustrating that there is godliness everywhere. The bligvul of God. I'm not locked into my habits, my wiring, my my upbringing, etc. I can break free of all of it. Why? Because that hints at the fact that there's bligvul emes Hashem's truth shines through into the world, and when I reveal that in a piece of my life, it stimulates a response from the Eibushter, the ma'oid from on high, the bligvul of Hashem. Bringing it back to our story, and then a lesson from it. So how does it apply in our story? We're looking over here at the difference between a carbon that is brought temporarily just to inaugurate the Mishkan versus a carbon that is going to be brought on a consistent basis every Rosh Chodesh. So when I look at this the avoider of temporary connection to Hashem, I'll say it's not nearly as powerful or as consistent or whatever as something that happens to Doirois. But at that moment, it allows the MS Havaya, the truth of the Ebishto, to reflect in this moment. We're too focused on quantity. How much do you do? How often do you do it? Here we're saying there's a quality in the individual action that is so powerful that it reveals MS Havaya into this world, even though you're only doing it. But that is MS Havaya, meaning to say the, the context of expressing Hashem's truth in or with, in relation to the world. That's our experience of godliness. Moshe doesn't have these issues. Moshe sees and experiences the real, consistent truth of Hashem as it radiates in Atzilus. Which is far superior to our experience of Emes Again, the Benoni while davening on such a high level for the Benoni. But compared to a tzaddik, you haven't even started. So for us, MS Avaya, right now I'm doing Avoid and I'm experiencing the truth of Godliness in my life, and it's Bechomoidecha and it opens it. But compared to Moshe Rabbein, it's a whole different story. And therefore, from the perspective of Moshe Rabbeinu, there's no difference. Is this a one moment service of Hashem, a long term service of Hashem? It makes no difference. There's constant 24 7, 365 connection. In spite of the fact that Moshe has such an elevated experience, the fact that Moshe acknowledges Aaron's perspective and not only acknowledges, but it's good for him. It's like almost geschmack. That implies that Aaron is able to have an influence over Moshe. Means that Aaron, through his engagement with us and our avoider, however imperfect it might be, has an impact on Moshe, who's in Atsilis and living the MS of Atsilis. 
Moshe should also acknowledge that there is a difference between one type of avoida and the next, one level of commitment and the next, a more long-term or a more short-term experience. What does that mean? Why is there a world of Atsilis in the first place? What, because Abishta needed some high, elevated spiritual place? There is a world of Atsilis to create the possibility of revealing godliness in lower worlds. Atsilis is a stepping stone so that we'll get to Oilam where we could reveal godliness. Which implies that the two core perspectives on Atsilis. Aleph on the one hand, Atsilis mitzad atzma. Atsilis, when you look at Atsilis, what is Atsilis? It's a reality that is completely aligned with God, totally beyond anything that has ever been created. That's what Atsilis is. Then, why is there Atsilis? So what is Atsilis? Atsilis is something completely beyond us. Absolute revelation of Godliness. Why is there Atsilis? So that we could eventually get an Olam so we could do our Avodah. These two things are also reflected in Moshe, which is why he's the ultimate leader. Moshe, who embodies that integrity and truth of Atzilis. If you're looking at Moshe, who is Moshe? He is an individual who's at a level that is completely beyond distinguishing. This kind of avoider, that kind of avoider, this level of connection. He's just got the highest consistent level of connection. Whereas Aaron, who is very much the ambassador of the Jewish people, whose job it is to reach out to the lowliest Jew and bring them close to Moshe's Torah, Therefore, his job is Giles HaKavono. Aaron's job is to show Moshe why there is somebody like you. Why is there somebody who reflects MS Havaya, who reflects the truth of Atsilas into this world? Why are you here? It's that you should be connected to the lower realm because that's the purpose. What is the deeper reason why there is this glaring, powerful truth of God in Atsilas? So that we could share something with the lower realm. Or Moshe, why is there a Moshe Abinu to affect the Yidden? And that's what Moshe resonates with. That element of what Moshe's job is all about, which reflects what Atsilis is all about, to be able to touch and relate to and elevate the people in the lowest realms, that now comes out into the open. And with it, a very practical lesson for us. Here's the lesson. Every one of us also has two components. We talk about my avoider, how I have to serve Hashem. My aspiration has to be absolute consistency in my service of Hashem without wavering. That's what I should be achieving. Just like David, she never changes. So the Bnei Yaakov have to emulate and also not shift, not, not compromise, not sway in our commitment to Hashem. We have to be there absolutely with consistency. That's when I look in the mirror. But when it's time to deal with another Yid, and even another Yid who might be completely 
distant from anything meaningful and holy. Then you have to acknowledge that he's not going to necessarily have that consistency. And he'll have his ups and his downs and his failures. And you have to acknowledge that. You can't start to have a positive impact on another person. Especially if that's a person who is spiritually distant. And you can't help that person. You'll never get anywhere if what you have is expectations and demands and pressure. That that person should always be at a consistent level of commitment to Hashem. It's very powerful for us because we do so much by nature of being in the Chabad world, of reaching out and trying to be mashpia and hoping that people will become more engaged with their Judaism. And then we often have expectations of consistency. And expectations that they won't mess up. And here the Rebbe is telling us clearly, when you're dealing with somebody else, you have to acknowledge there'll be Kachay Shah and Kachay Doris. There'll be moments of connection and moments of not such great connection. And when you do actually engage with other people, including those who are very spiritually deficient, with a real appreciation and understanding of their reality. That they're not just like this going to be consistently where you'd like them to be. That's how you'll actually have a positive and meaningful impact on them. Then they will also come to appreciate and understand the concept, the concept of absolute consistency of the Abish's truth. And not only that, that it will benefit them, it will actually enhance our own experience of MSFI in our own lives. And by doing that, Chesed, the Pasuk tells us, Chesed ve'emes nifgoshu. Both Chesed and Emes, the avoider of Moshe, the avoider of Aaron, will come together. Tzedek v'shalom nashoku. It's almost like they'll, they'll kiss. V'azayni, then we'll get to the point of Nishlam mile akabono, shal nisav ha-kodesh baruch hu besachtonim. Then we'll reach the point we will fulfill the Ibishtah's desire that he should be manifest and revealed, not in Atzilus, but Dafka down here in this world, amongst us, in the absolute MS Havaya, the absolute truth of the Ibishtah, which we should, in Mitzah Hashem, be to see, take care of Umiyad Mamish with the coming of Mashiach now.